You are listening to a special pre-recorded episode of The Four Persons Show. Though we will not be taking live calls tonight, we want to answer any questions or comments you may have. Drop us a line at email at thefourpersons.com. Welcome to The Tangled Knot with Deb Rojas. With the help of our Heavenly Mother Mary, undoer of knots, Deb seeks to help us untangle the knots we find and often cause in our own lives. Deborah Rojas, MS, is a psychotherapist and mental health counselor at Integrity Counseling Services. A graduate of Divine Mercy University, Deborah utilizes a variety of approaches within a Catholic Christian framework, depending on the needs of the client. These approaches include cognitive behavioral therapy, internal family systems, emotion-focused therapy, forgiveness therapy, person-centered therapy, gestalt techniques, and narrative therapy. She specializes in women's issues, relationship trauma, spiritual trauma, physical and sexual trauma, anxiety and depression, and grief and loss. She also works with priests, pastors, and seminarians, drawing from her background of over 20 years of working in both Protestant and Catholic churches. For more information about Deb and Integrity Counseling, please visit them at IntegrityCounselingPA.com. Once again, the address is IntegrityCounselingPA.com. Now, ladies and gentlemen, Deb Rojas. Hello and welcome to The Tangled Knot. My name is Deb Rojas and we're delighted to have you here on the show tonight. I'm here with my colleague, Fred Bowley. Hi, Deb. Hey, Fred. Are you or someone you know in a tangled mess? Have you found yourself asking, how on earth can I resolve this situation? Well, these are the kinds of questions we like to talk about on this show. And um, before we get started tonight, I'd like to just share that next week we are going to be welcoming Ken Garcia, author of Pilgrim River, A Spiritual Memoir, uh, Ken is a friend of mine and uh, beautifully portrays how God called him to himself through the beauty of nature. And um, it's really a wonderful book, and I look forward to welcoming Ken on the show. So hang around for that next week. Um, in the meantime, tonight Fred and I are going to discuss uh, potentially a case or two, but especially uh, theories. Theories. Um, ways in which we help clients approach a life situation, a problem, a part of themselves that they're mm. really frustrated with, um, perhaps an addiction, a, uh, you know, so many different facets of disorder that we see in the counseling right. office. Right. So, um, Dr. Fred Boley, how long have you been practicing? I've been practicing and practicing, and I still can't do it. <laughs> years and years. I got my master's degree in 92. Okay. I've had a, a few breaks in there, mm-hmm. but quite a while. So we're talking 30 years. Off and on. Okay. Does that make you feel old? <laughs> yes, very old. Uh, and I have been counseling for fewer years, but not because I am much younger, <laughs> just because I started later. Um, 
but even in the you know the shorter time that I've been counseling, it's um, it's been interesting to to look at different theories and see how different theories work with different clients, different mm-hmm. situations. Um, so, what is do you have like a, a favorite or like a go to that you work with all of the time? What theory? A theory. Mm-hmm. Yes, my operating idea is that uh, all students, when they come out, all counselors, should choose one theory to sort of guide all their thinking on it. Now, a a particular theory never captures all of experience or all the things that you need to do or what you do as a good counselor in counseling. It's just kind of a picture or it's an operating framework so that you have a way of thinking efficiently and you're not all over the map doing things that don't really make sense together. Does that make sense? So my operating framework is cognitive behavioral therapy. CBT. Because it's easy. It's easy T. Oh yeah. CBT. Yes, CBT. So you say it's easy. Well, that is really a lie. I mean, it's simple, relatively simple so that it's not so hard to get the basic concepts. Mm-hmm. But in application, I will often uh, coach couples, for example, in active listening. And active listening is really simple. What's that? I'm sorry? What kind of listening? <laughs> active, Deb. Sorry, I active. just interrupted. That's a no, no-no in active listening, isn't it? No, in fact, my version, I I, I encourage people to interrupt and not to get their own point across, but mm-hmm. to do reflections, mm. do reflections and open-ended questions. Because mm-hmm. if someone interrupts you to understand better what you're saying, it's not usually a problem. You know, I feel happy that someone is that interested mm-hmm. to really know and listen to what I have to say. So you feel happy that people are really paying attention and want to know what you have to say. Yeah. But the point of this, <laughs> that's a really rubbish reflection, but okay, we'll go with it. The point is... <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's easy. I mean, it's simple. Mm-hmm. It's simple to learn, but it's not easy. right? In fact, it takes a lot of practice, and I feel mm-hmm. like I do not have it down, really. I really mm-hmm. feel like I need to buckle down and work harder on my active listening. It's the mm-hmm. same thing with CBT. The basics are really easy. I mean, they're really mm-hmm. simple, saying that. They're really simple. But in application, they are endlessly varied because everybody is different. The situation is different. And the same words coming out of a different person's mouth mean different things. They're connected in different ways to different ideas and experiences. Completely different contexts. Completely different contexts. And what Mm -hmm. worked great for the last guy who came in here with OCD works not at all for the next guy. Hmm. It's always somewhat mysterious. Why? And yet... And yet you're so committed to CBT as a, as a model. Because it makes sense and it's not uh, contradictory. Mm-hmm. So, for example, human beings have parts, right? Mm-hmm. We have a soul and a body. And the body has further parts. Mm-hmm. If you cut off your hand, you still have a body, right? But the soul itself does not have any parts. You cannot cut anything off of the soul. Mm -hmm. If you get a haircut or you get your hand cut off, then your soul still stays exactly whole. It's exactly Mm -hmm. one. It's your soul. It's one. Mm 
So um, uh, you and I have talked about that before, I think. Mm-hmm. I know you like to talk about parts, but why? I mean, what is the thing about parts? Maybe you could well, finally give me a really good explanation of what exact, what are the basics of, what's it called? Internal IFS. family mm-hmm. Yeah. Internal family systems, IFS. Um, you know, it's a, a model of therapy that um, understands human beings in a in a category of a core self, which, with a Christian perspective, that core self is actually who we are as image bearers, imago dei. Mm-hmm. Um, and then parts of us that can that really kind of bear our aspects of our personality. Okay. So this is on a physical level, in other words. Say again? So this is on a physical level. Yeah, it's, it's not a spiritual level. Right. So we don't have we don't have like a multiple souls. Like we don't have a soul for each part, which right. I know is kind of one of what you, you're looking at. Like is this a heretical thing? No. Yeah. But it's a way of understanding personality. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes. What does... Okay, Sarah, go on. Give me a full explanation, and then I will ask some of my questions that continue to puzzle so me about. it comes with the understanding that the central core of who we are is ourselves. And when we are functioning from a place of self, we are functioning from a place of wholeness and wellness and integration. Hmm. And when we're in that space, we can be curious, confident, compassionate, calm, connected in the sense of being connected to um, God, the larger spiritual connection, um, and also easy to connect with others. Um, so your true self, in other words, who you were created to be? Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, so to, to give you an easy example, I find anxiety is just an easy an easy example yeah, to because you know we all experience anxiety mm-hmm. and we can usually somatically identify it. You so what identify it? Sorry. Somatically. Oh, in your body, you mean? In your body, yes. Mm-hmm. These signs in your body that you're experiencing anxiety. Right. Yeah, sure. So when I'm coming on this show, I usually feel a little bit of you know my heart's racing. Mm-hmm. Um. Like back in the early days, maybe there was even a little tremor in my voice. Um, I move in my chair. There's a restless energy. Sure. You know? Um, and and so there's like the presence of anxiety, and I'm aware of it. Um, clients who come in who have extreme anxiety, the anxiety is so powerful that it's overridden who they are. It's overridden themselves. And instead of... Exactly. So instead of self being really the driver of the bus, anxiety is like, get out of the way. I I need to control everything. But how can anxiety have a separate existence? Anxiety doesn't have what uh, Thomas calls subsistence, right? It doesn't have its own existence. It has to have something else to exist within. So you are feeling anxious, but mm-hmm. there's not a separate being that's actually doing things called anxiety. So this is a 
it's a way of understanding. It's not saying that there are modes necessarily of who we are. When you you know when you think of personalities, it's not like this is a like a totally separate mode of me. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's still me, but it's me acting in a different way. Okay, so like a script. You're acting according to a different script, maybe. Mm-hmm. That'd be fair. So a different script, different memories, different so bodily me. bodily uh-huh. memories, bodily impressions. So, for instance, let's say um, someone who's had significant trauma. What kind of trauma? Significant, like uh, like a like um, let's go with military trauma. Sure. Yeah. Um. PTSD. Mm-hmm. That's linked to a particular experience. That memory has particular body sensations. Mm-hmm. And when that is activated, what happens in the body at that time? You asking, or is that a rhetorical question? Well, we we know it's hijacked. It's basically hijacked by. Yeah, so you, your heart rate increases, your, mm-hmm. your breathing goes faster, your uh, your digestion stops, your um, uh, muscles start tremoring so that they're ready for action. Right. Let's, what happens in the mind? Well, in the mind, there's several things that can happen, right? It's several either things, fight, right? flight, or freeze, really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, you either become aggressive, mm-hmm. uh, you become... Like you get into the flight mode. In other words, you just want to get away, and so your mm-hmm. thought stops at that point. Mm-hmm. Or you you just go blank. You dissociate. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So um, so within that, there's not to talk about self mm-hmm. and to talk about this this part of who we are that's traumatized. Like, self is not in the driver's seat in that moment. We're not acting. It's not really. Yes, exactly. And so within the theory of IFS, there's Mm -hmm. the sense of how do we take care of the part that's suffering? Part that's suffering. So, uh, see, this is one of these things that confuse me. Um, Uh if If I have PTSD, then all of me is suffering. If you hit my toe with a hammer, mm-hmm. it's not my toe that suffers. It's me that suffers. I mean, the pain is mainly in the toe, but it's all of me that suffers. Right? But when you treat it... It's coming out of my treat. eyes, not out of my toes. When huh? you treat it, though, you go to the podiatrist. You say, I, I broke my toe, and the podiatrist right. sets your toe. Right? Your toe isn't all of you. It's, well, it's I would probably you. say, Deb broke my toe. But, okay, <laughs> so, but it's not it's not right to be the part of you that suffers. Like what? What part? Uh, like how would you describe that part that's suffering with PTSD? Um, how would part I? Part of your personality. That was the like. So while you're thinking of that, bring mm-hmm. me an answer for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to ask you another question about it as a whole. We will be back to the Tangle Knot with Deb Rojas on the Four Persons Network in just a moment. 
The Four Persons Inc. is a registered 501c3 nonprofit. It is our goal to bring you the very best Catholic content possible, including great contributors like Deb. Going forward, we will continue to bring you great apologists, great educational content, devotionals, Catholic books, and live charitable and social outreach activism. To continue to keep bringing you this great program, we need your help. All of our members are volunteering their time and effort, but it costs money to pay for all of the things connected with our shows, podcasts, and articles. Please take a moment to donate. Our online credit card platform is not yet running, but you can send your tax-deductible gift to the Four Persons, Inc., P.O. Box 11214, Manassas, Virginia, 20113. The address again is the Four Persons, Inc., P.O. Box 11214, Manassas, Virginia, 20113. If you would like to advertise your business on our programs, or if you have any comment or question of any kind, please email us at email at thefourpersons.com or call us at 240-728-6531. Thank you.
now, back to Deb Rojas and the Tangled Knot on the Four Persons Network. Oh, I know what I was going to say. I was going to run something past you and check mm-hmm. if this is, is about right. Before you were talking about it, and I was thinking, sometimes I talk to people about how we can play different parts, right? It's not like we're mm-hmm. being sick or a completely different person or something like that. But when you're with little toddlers and you're looking at the little toddlers, you're the big responsible adult, right? Mm-hmm. But when you're at your mom and dad's house, sitting down with them over their um, kitchen table, then you're just a kid. You're still a kid, You're like right? a toddler again. <laughs> you're like yeah. a toddler. Mm-hmm. So you kind of play in a different role, and you mm-hmm. oftentimes will, I mean, even if you don't like it, you will kind of like fall in with whatever other people expect from you. Mm-hmm. If you if you're in a crowd of people, and as far as you know, you're just part of the crowd, and yet it suddenly turns out nobody else knows anything about this. You're the only one who knows anything. Suddenly, you can see everyone turns to you, mm-hmm. and they have a look on your face, and you're like, oh, "Holy crap! I am now in charge!" Right? So you have different personas, you might mm-hmm. call it. And I'll often talk about how in a in a conversation. People take different levels of responsibility, right? Mm-hmm. So, and it comes from transa- transactional analysis. So you see, I'm not transactional analysis in my theory at all, but I can I can use that. So mm-hmm. uh, you take all the responsibility. You can call yourself in the parent mode or the parent role persona, mm-hmm. whatever. If you take none of the responsibility, you're in the child persona. Mm-hmm. If it's fifty-fifty, depending on facts that might come out, then you're in the adult mode. You know just fact-based, and everybody takes care of themselves. Does that all make sense, basically? Yeah, absolutely. So does does that kind of a, a dovetail in some way? Does that fit possibly? Yeah, there's, there's, there's definitely, definitely parallels there, yes. So parent part, I could talk about my child part or my parent part or something mm-hmm. that I am. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Okay. You know, like my, my mom part even has a different voice. <laughs> Yeah, I believe it. <laughs> you know, where it comes across and it's like, all right, mommy's business, you know. Uh, right. Who have moms know exactly what voice that is, right? Um, I'm reminded as you were talking about how the, the context of, of a group and how, you know, we can be different ways with different people. Mm-hmm. Uh, C.S. Lewis talked about friendship and how in friendship – we value new friends coming into the equation because new friends help us learn more about the old friends. And that's because new people engage different parts. So we might see a side or an aspect of a person. It is, absolutely. (laughs) Oh, no, no. All right, go on. Yeah, go on. Thought, like different, there's 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 more to it than that. There's obviously there's different thought that's involved, um, but it definitely helps us more fully engage the personality. Hmm. So the um, <laughs> you were shaking your head earlier. Tell me why. Uh, because uh, like two people engaging different parts of each other. I mean, like, what does that mean? Obviously, it's not literal, right? You know what's really fascinating? Yes. You say it's not literal, right? Obviously, it's not literal. But 
in couples counseling, I have seen this vividly. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. Where um, one particular, uh, for, for a husband, the vulnerability is um, in relating to women, mom was very overbearing. Hey, okay. So the husband. The husband's mom. Husband's mom was very overbearing, controlling, um, relied Sorry, on him deeply for emotional support. Oh. And so with mom, he, he never really felt like he could get away. From his mom. From his mom. Yeah. 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 Um, the wife came from an abusive home and was always looking around, sensing the room. Like, how's, how am I safe here? What's going on? Is everybody doing everything that they need to be to keep the peace? Hypervigilance. Hypervigilant to the core. Yes. And um, and so her first instinct is always to jump up and soothe and soothe and soothe and soothe. Right. Right? Because she's problem. coming at it from this, this very child childlike place of fear whenever right. there's any conflict. So for both of these people, the it's when conflict emerges that these parts come out, these protective parts. And so for him, the last thing he wants to do is have anything to do with her because she feels controlling and overwhelming. His wife? Yes. Gotcha. And he relates to her. That part is relating to her very much like he would relate to his mother. Which part? Are you being smart with me, Fred? No, I am not. (laughs) I'm trying to get it. (laughs) Okay. Let me paint. Let me paint the picture. Um, so what? Essentially, you have him very much acting like a young boy, mm-hmm. overwhelmed oh. by emotion, mm-hmm. unable to engage her, really just wanting to flee and run and feeling trapped. Right. And you have her afraid that he's going to freak out in any moment. And the thing that she needs to do is start talking as much as she can to calm him down. Which is exactly what he doesn't need. Which is exactly what he doesn't need. Right. Exactly. And so as these two parts engage, it's disastrous. So, um... so hold on, there's more to it. Oh so within gosh. the context, there is, there's more to it. Within the context of learning to care for each other's parts. This is therapeutically how it works. Okay. Okay? For him to be able to recognize that she's very much in that moment feeling like a scared five-year-old. Mm-hmm. And that he's not going to be able to reason with her. Mm-hmm. But really what she needs is to know that he's present with her and he can do that with a simple hand gesture or a, let's stop. I think this is getting too intense. You know, let's, let's take a breather. Mm-hmm. Do you need a hug? Like seeing this couple respond to these interventions was profound. Hmm. 
because he recognized he didn't have to run from her like he ran from his mom. He could choose to stay. Mm-hmm. And that, and she recognized that he wasn't her dad. Right. That he really was safe and she could trust him. And so in that, they both began to have the freedom to turn to each other. as themselves, not overrun by these fearful parts. Mm-hmm. So that's an example of it in a therapeutic context. Cool. Um, yeah, I know that uh, you have really good success with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it helps a lot of people. Which is um, ironic if it, if it doesn't have much merit. Well, it's not <laughs> Oh, my word. Here we go again. <laughs> If I told you mm-hmm. <laughs> that uh, come inside because you haven't put on sunscreen, you're going to get a sunburn. No, 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 no. You don't know what you're talking about. And then I told you <laughs> there are flying green monsters coming. Then you run inside. And people who uh, I use my flying green monsters um, therapy on... Mm-hmm have lower incidence of sunburn and skin cancer. Right? Is that a, is that a, a, a fact? <laughs> I can explain it to you, Deb. Please explain it to me very slowly. I don't know if I can understand it for you. <laughs> the point is that it has heuristic value. Mm-hmm. In other words, just because you get someone to do something by what you say doesn't mean that what you say is perfectly accurate. So I think all theories are, in a, to a certain degree, um, metaphors, right? They're stories. They're ways we have of talking to people about a, a reality that really is there. But our words are, not, are never like one-to-one, like one, right. one plus mm-hmm. zero. It's mm-hmm. perfectly exactly the same on both sides. Words are never that, um, but we can try to get as close as we can. Yeah, and I was I was going to add inadequate. They're meta they're metaphors, and yeah. and yeah. as such, they're inadequate. They're not mm-hmm. entirely. Yeah, they they don't entirely paint the picture. And so with that, it's like being able to use a thing as much as it is useful and helpful. For clients, right. you know, so I have clients who like who just don't get the part stuff. Right. You know? They're like kind of it, it just for them it, it really doesn't it doesn't resonate. Right. And so it's uh I'll still subtly use the parts language. Mm-hmm. Very uh-huh. good job crafty. Yeah, like there's a part of me, I think wasn't it St. Paul who said that there was a part of him, he, like there were parts that were warring within him. <laughs> he used parts language in scripture. <laughs> sure, and he also says body, soul, and spirit. Mm-hmm. There's no separate entity of a spirit, right? There's only body and soul. Spirit talks about an aspect of the soul. 
And so I, I think you were there for a discussion that we had at some point where someone was bound and determined that there are three parts to the human person, the body, the soul, and the spirit. And you could not dissuade this person. Body, no matter, soul, Yeah. But in fact, if you study it and listen carefully to St. Thomas Aquinas, <laughs> it's not so. You cannot reify the spirit. In other words, if someone uses a metaphor, mm-hmm. you can't take that and say, oh, well, that means that there really is such a thing. Right. Well, we have body, mind, and soul. Well, the mind really is the soul. I need to break it to you. Well, who is it? Uh, dang it, Alice von Hildebrandt. Um, Dietrich von Hildebrandt would also say there's heart. So... Yeah, I mean, just because, Aquinas, just because Aquinas says something doesn't make it gospel. No, you know, she's true. like the ultimate philosopher that, you know, like we can only understand truth from him. No, no, I'm no, just no, curious. No. Of course not. But he is the philosopher on which the Council of Trent is based. So it's really hard um, to get very far from Thomas and maintain mm-hmm. accuracy. There are some things you can add to it, definitely. But Iteatomam, right? Go to Thomas, because that is your basic starting point mm-hmm. to understand uh, philosophical Yeah. Yeah. Looking for a Catholic counselor or coach? Dr. Fred Boley provides faithful Catholic counseling and coaching for men in Missouri and beyond. He conveniently offers telehealth services for anxiety, depression, marriage counseling, or just getting stuff done. You can find him at stbarn.org or 872-269-1280. Once again, the number is 872-269-1280. Here is the latest podcast schedule here on The Four Persons. You'll want to write this down so you can keep up with our shows. On Monday at 7 will be the new night of The Tangled Knot with Deb Rojas. Tuesday will be a flex schedule. Some weeks we'll have shows on Tuesday, some weeks we will not. On Wednesday, that will be the new night of Uncounseling with Dr. Fred Boley. Again, that's on Wednesday at 7 Eastern Time, Uncounseling with Fred Boley. Thursday will be the second flex schedule date of our week. On Friday morning at 7 a.m. Eastern Time, it is the Catholic Ken Apologetic Show with Ken Litchfield. Then at 7 p.m., the Luke Haskell Show. On Saturday at noon Eastern, it is the Burnt Toast and Coffee Show with apologist William Hemsworth. On Saturday evening at 7 p.m., it will be the Taking It to the Streets show with Terry Delp. And on Sunday at 5 p.m., it is Catholicism Rock. That is our regular schedule, and as things change, we will notify you here at The Four Persons. So, um, anyway, how do we get onto that sidetrack? Uh, 
because you still are, are battling the idea of hearts. Oh, yeah, hearts. <laughs> it's a useful way of talking about it, but they are not really, right? You cannot have a heart mutation and have an amputation of one of your hearts. No. No, you can't, you can't have, have a heart, really. No. no. But really, we can only be whole as we all of ourselves. So, you know, if, if there's a... I'm going to use the word part. It's okay. Yeah. That's, you know? If there's a it's part very of helpful. I, there's no doubt that it's really helpful. So go on. Yeah, go on. Let's say there's a part of me that still, like, continually grieves the fact that I'm divorced. Right. You know? And that's, like, a sadness that is carried that just will always be there in some regard. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, at a certain point, that was a pretty overwhelming part, mm-hmm. you know, to the point that it was, like, very difficult for me to pray. Yes. You know, it was, um, like, work was very difficult. Um, and if I just shoved that to the side and never acknowledged its existence, I might right. try to act like it didn't exist, like exile it, put it away. But I wouldn't really be caring for that part of my heart. Which we have a responsibility to do. Mm-hmm. And so IFS really more refers to the internal relationships that we have with our, within ourselves. And not in a, not in a multi-personality disorder kind of way, but with a little bit of a multi-personality order kind of way. So, okay, so consider this. Uh-huh. Um, the part of you that uh, is still grieving your divorce mm-hmm. um, has so many problems that it kind of drowns out the part of you that wants to get on with life. Sure, but and that, you, I mean, that could be a real tension, absolutely. The part that's like, you just need to get up and you need to do the thing and you need to... Sure, go ahead. But to do anything, you have to understand uh, the soul, right? Mm-hmm. So if you understand how someone moves, you have to understand their soul. Mm-hmm. So therefore, if you understand what your um, your grieving part is doing, you have to understand that grieving part's soul. And I see you're trying to make it... Part of the grieving part, soul, wants to keep grieving, and part of it is looking on and saying, I should quit, but I can't. So really there's two parts within the grieving part, and each of them is moving and doing things. And if they're moving and doing, they have a soul. You see what I'm saying? It's just the same problem that um, Freud ran into, which is you're turning uh, various things that are happening inside of you, you're reifying them. You're turning them into a little person. And if it's a little person, it has a soul. And pretty soon we have four million people inside you. Anyway, but it's I'm not, sure a, it's not a person. But it's not a it's not a person. It's just. But if it's like moving a, and doing, then we have to consider it as a person. So you say, but this it's part moving and intended. doing. But it's moving and doing as us. It's so not it's a separate really person. Moving and doing, right? It's really you that's moving and doing. Yeah, and ultimately, no matter what, you know, like, whatever a part does, whether it's like an addictive behavior or a, like, a compulsive, like a sinful, a sinful thing, we, like, I am responsible for that. 
So it's you that's moving and doing. And yes, we're only exactly. it's a metaphor to say that this part mm-hmm. wants to do that or does this or does that. Because only uh, animals move and do, and, but we don't have separate animals inside ourselves. They're separate souls. Right? But it, I think it's a really powerful metaphor because, I'm um, mm-hmm. sorry, I, I'm, I keep interrupting you because it is no, really no. interesting. And it, you were about to say the different apart. parts within yourself and relationships. Sorry, go ahead. This yeah. is what really makes so, IFS and IFS, right? <laughs> So see, this is this is where we're seeing friends. This is where we're seeing friends' skeptic part. (laughs) As friends, like this is hogwash. It's not hogwash, but um, but, yeah, you have to be careful not to think of it as like yeah. Go on. Yes, you do have to be careful not to create a new and false sense of who the person is. And I think that's a really good and wise warning. You know, we do need to keep in mind who we are as persons created in the image of God. And ultimately, understanding IFS from a Christian, a Catholic Christian perspective, like healing can only take place. Like the self is not like a a self apart from God. The self is a part that is made in the image of God. And it is through the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit that we receive any healing. So it's um it's you know in its original form it's quite atheistic and gotcha. um and so and so even you know there have been developments of the theory itself mm-hmm. as as Christians have interacted with it and I have no doubt there will continue to be developments of the theory mm-hmm. um, as it's used and and found to be I have just found it to be incredibly effective um, in especially in um, when you think of like self-compassion mm-hmm. how do you how do you talk about self-compassion with your clients I just say it I mean I say why would you um, be kind to someone else and mean to yourself you know mm-hmm. if you look at someone else and they're overweight you say please don't let that bother you I think of you mm-hmm. just the same way um, if you were overweight as if you were trim or whatever mm-hmm. you know you're just the same and then you turn to yourself and say oh you've got to lose weight you know it's horrible it's disgusting why are you a nazi towards yourself and yet a kind mm-hmm. compassionate person towards everybody else right there's a nazi part going off in your brain <laughs> see mine has a little <laughs> toothbrush mustache <laughs> uh yeah that critical part that that critical voice you know we all have that inner critic and that is definitely a part that, you know, is very, very active. Um, so is so, it fair to say that some parts are universal? For example, absolutely. if you have like a mother part, father part, whatever? Well, I think, you know, for Catholics, there's a Catholic standard bearer part. Like the, I'm, this is where I'm failing as a Catholic. This is what I need to do as a Catholic. Mm-hmm. This is, you know, um, that's that's one. Um, there, are, there are categories. There's the mm-hmm. manager, firefighter, exile. And they each have different roles. But if you think about family systems, when we understand Mm -hmm. family systems, you know, we're talking about a family. And within that family, going back to what I was saying a little bit earlier about relationships, Mm -hmm. it's a a host of relationships. Right. You have the mother and father. You have mother and children. You have father and children. You have children and children. A host of different relationships. 
And so what was observed is that within ourselves, we have a similar way of functioning. Yeah. Relationally. And, you know, the command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbors as yourself. Mm -hmm. And I never understood that as a Protestant because self-love was condemned. Right. And it was really kind of confusing to me as a kid. Mm-hmm. And even really confusing to me as an adult. <laughs> you know, self-loathing just made so much more sense. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I'm trying to think, are there any scriptures that say, like, uh, stop loving yourself or something? <laughs> you know what I mean? No, but within that within that command, that universal command, it's there is the there is the acknowledgement, the, the presence of that self love, right? Not and praised or criticized, just as right, a fact. It's just, it, exactly, it's just there. Doctor, um, the stop loving thyself or something. Is there? It, does anything come to mind? No, which is interesting. Go on. Sorry, I interrupted. Mm-hmm. So Dr. Peter Malinowski has a good, um, a very good podcast on self-love entitled Self-Love, What Every Catholic Needs to Know. And um, and so it's, it's, a, it's about rightly ordered self-love, which isn't self-obsession. Right. You know, um, but it's... it's yeah, like being able to recognize our own value and dignity as beloved mm-hmm. children of God. Right as being made in his image and reflecting his glory. So, um, yeah, I mean, we're kind of running a little bit out of time, but I wanted to kind of um, whet our listeners' appetites for for Ken Garcia and his book, um, Pilgrim River, that we're going to be talking about next time. Um, You and I are both converts. Yes. And um, I don't think my story is quite as exciting as Ken's. But, I've um, not read the book, so I don't really know. Oh, it's really, it's incredibly written. I I really loved it. I read it as quickly as I could. Cool. I actually lost sleep to read it. Right, yeah. When did you read it? When? Yeah. Um, Maybe two months ago. Okay. So recently. And when did you first consider that you might possibly become a Catholic yourself? When was that ever even a possibility for you? Early 2000s, a good friend um, gave me the book, Rome Sweet Home. Really? And she and her family were in the process of becoming Catholic. So I read it and I thought, interesting story, not mine. Right. So it wasn't even a possibility. Not at that point. Not at that point, but in 2008, 9, 10, I was doing a lot of listening to Journey Home, mm-hmm. uh, Catholic, Catholic Answers, because I knew I didn't really know what the Catholic Church was. And why was that of interest or importance for you? There was a real, it was It was like the desire for truth, the desire for unity, um, the desire to... Unity among different Christian groups, you mean? 
I'm yet not just among Christian groups, but among Christians. Right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Like real true unity, like what unity was Christ talking about in John 17? We're all things that I'm pondering in in the Anglican communion, which was, you know, I don't know how many denominations there are that are, quote, Anglican, unquote, but there are thousands that have different, they call it alphabet soup. There are so many different acronyms and different ways that they unite to Canterbury. Um, So, and then before that, I was Presbyterian, but that denomination was only like 40 years old. Hmm. And I grew up Baptist and independent Baptist. Right. So, you know, so just looking at, you know, that I always had this kind of fascination with, this might sound funny, but like church structure. You mean organizational structure? Yeah. Uh-huh. Hmm. Yep. Governance. Cool. Yeah, governance, ecclesiology. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, probably because my dad was a pastor. Right. So I saw him have, as a very young pastor, a lot of authority. Mm-hmm. And then I saw church splits and, you know, saw a lot of different uh, disorganization. Um, and I also saw him, like, his own theology develop over the years. Mm-hmm. Um and there you have it, Fred. <laughs> well, evidently, that is our signal. That That's is our, our signal. time together is drawing to a close. Um, this has been The Tangled Knot, which is a production of St. Barnabas Reconciliation Ministries and the Four Persons blog and podcast. St. Barnabas is a nonprofit Catholic company dedicated to reconciliation. For information or services, or to schedule a counseling appointment with St. Barnabas, you can look at stbarn.org, S-T-B-A-R-N.org, or you can email us questions at stbarn at protonmail.com, or you can get hold of Deb Rojas for questions of counseling by doing what, Deb? Um, they can email me at... Deb Rojas, R-O-J-A-S, counseling at gmail.com or call 610-601-9781. So once again, this is the uh, Tangled Knot podcast with Deb Rojas. And Deb, who is our patron? Mary Undoer of Knots. Pray for us. Pray for us. Why don't you do that tonight? I usually do. Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to uh, discuss issues that could very well be helpful for people. And thank you for Deb, and thank you for her uh, mastery of the IFS theory and her work with people who uh, are hurting and need help. Please bless our work together. Please bless the people who will hear our voices. And we ask all these things in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Undoer of knots. Pray for us. And St. Barnabas. Pray for us. And St. Dinsna. Pray for us. Amen.
Thanks, Look forward to seeing you guys next week with Ken Garcia and Dr. Fred Boley. Thanks for being here tonight, Fred. You just heard the Tangle Knot with Deb Rojas on the Four Persons Network. Real sound Catholic counseling that helps us to fulfill the greatest commandment to love God with our whole heart, our whole soul, our whole strength, and, yes, our whole mind. We will see you next week for another wonderful show with Deb Rojas. The Four Persons Inc. is a registered 501c3 nonprofit. All rights reserved. Any unauthorized use of this content without the permission of the Four Persons Inc. and our hosts is prohibited and subject to legal action. Thank you.